Welcome to The Markets, Dateline, Scottsdale, Arizona, Friday, January 3rd. Along with Max Armstrong, I'm Orion Samuelson, back with you for the first edition of The Markets for the year 2020. And I thought we might get into a little quieter geopolitical year, but now we have the Middle East problem, and that certainly impacted markets on this final trading day of the first week of 2020. So let's begin with a look at what happened in the marketplace today. Wall Street's major indices fell from record highs today after that airstrike in Iraq ratcheted up tensions in the Middle East and a bigger-than-expected contraction in the U.S. manufacturing sector raised concerns of slowing economic growth. Today's decline put the benchmark S&P 500 in the red for the week, snapping a five-week winning streak for that index. Demand for safe haven assets soared as Iran vowed revenge for the killing of that uh, terrorist in an airstrike authorized by President Donald Trump. And then in a further blow to U.S. market sentiment, data from the Institute for Supply Management showed that U.S. factory activity contracted in December by the most in more than a decade. And one analyst said there was a reinforcement of weak manufacturing activity. And then you had the geopolitical spark in the Middle East. Shares of airlines tumbled today as oil prices jumped about 3%. American Airlines Group shares dropped 5%. Shares of United Airlines fell 2.1%. And among the S&P 500's 11 major sectors, only real estate and utilities, both considered defensive plays, ended higher. And in a sign of investor jitters, U.S. stocks extended their fall following a false report of an attack on a U.S. military base in Iraq. Shares of U.S. defense companies jumped on news of the airstrike, and uh, we saw Lockheed Martin shares up 3.6%. Northrop Grumman shares gained 5.4%. And at the end of the day, the numbers, the Dow Industrial Average down 234 points, closing at 28,634 In the first trading week of the new year, the S&P 500 lost 23 points to end at 32.35. And the NASDAQ composite dropped 71 points to end at 9,020. For the week, the Dow dipped four hundredths of a percent. The S&P 500 down 17 hundredths of a percent. But the Nasdaq ended higher, up 16 hundredths of a percent. And among advancers today, Tesla shares hit a record high and ended up 3% after the automaker beat estimates for vehicle deliveries in the fourth quarter. Lamb Weston Holdings shares up 11%. 
the biggest percentage gain on the S&P 500 after the frozen food suppliers' quarterly results beat the estimates. The S&P 500 posted 22 new 52-week highs, one new low. The Nasdaq Composite recorded 60 new highs and 15 new lows. Volume today, though, much higher. Again, the geopolitical situation certainly adding to the volume. 7,470,000,000 shares. That's compared to the 6,870,000,000 for the full session over the last trading days. Oil prices for the day uh, jumped. That, too, because of the Middle East situation. Oil prices at their highest level in more than three months. Brent crude ended the session up 3.6% or $2.35 a barrel at $68.60. And U.S. crude settled up $1.87 at $63.05 a barrel. Gold today with the uh, GAN situation in the Middle East. We find gold prices surging today to a four-month peak, racing past the key $1,550 an ounce level after that airstrike in the Middle East. So a lot going on, and I sort of had the hope that maybe the uh, signing of the Phase 1 of the China-U.S. trade agreement would quiet things down. But anything but has happened. So let's look ahead to next week. Investors will be watching the U.S. jobs reports. The Labor Department will release its monthly employment report on Friday and weekly jobless claims data on Thursday. And the ADP National Employment Report is scheduled on the economic calendar for Wednesday. According to a Reuters survey of economists, non-farm payrolls probably increased by 160,000 jobs in December, with the unemployment rate remaining unchanged at 3.5%. And the U.S. Commerce Department will likely show on Tuesday that the country's trade deficit narrowed to $43.9 billion in November. Then uh, we look at some other events, and automobiles certainly in the picture here. Uh, First of all, let's talk about Tesla just a little bit. It will deliver its first China-made Model 3 sedans to the public on Tuesday at an event at its Shanghai plant. That's part of the Silicon Valley automaker's plans to bolster its presence in the world's biggest auto market and minimize the impact of U.S.-China trade wars. And in the other automobile story today, the automakers reported another year of stable sales of pickup trucks as discounts during the crucial holiday season and lower interest rates on vehicle loans attracted buyers, but demand for passenger cars retreated even further. 
Passenger cars have fallen out of favor with buyers amid lower oil prices and automakers have focused on selling the larger SUVs and pickups that are also more profitable. December is among the hottest months for auto sales in the U.S. as buyers take advantage of significant discounts provided by the car manufacturers to clear inventory before the end of the year. Analysts expect overall 2019 U.S. sales to fall by about 1% from 2018. Looking at some of the numbers today, General Motors, which was hit by a month-long strike by its 48,000 hourly employees, reported a six and a third percentage fall in sales for the fourth quarter. And uh, GM's total U.S. sales fell 2.35%. Sales of Toyota Motor reported a 5% drop in U.S. passenger car sales. Sales of Fiat Chrysler automobiles dipped 1% to 2.2 million vehicles. And a story that will have an impact on drug prices here in the United States. Novartis, Merck & Company, and Allergan were among companies that raised U.S. prices on more than 100 prescriptions medicines today, bringing the tally to 445 higher drugs that will cost more in 2020. And that's above the average of 100, uh, 404 drug price increases in the first three days of January over the past five years. Oh, one more auto story, too, for the week. Ford Motor Company said early in the week that reservations are full for the first edition of its electric sport utility vehicle, Mustang Mach-E. The number two U.S. automaker unveiled the electric Mustang crossover on November 17 and then started taking reservations with a refundable deposit of $500. Ford did not provide details on how many reservations it took, but has said global production in the first 12 months after its launch is limited to 50,000 vehicles. And uh, one company did a pretty good job of selling airplanes. Lockheed Martin said this week it has reached its 2019 target to deliver 131 F-35 fighter jets to the United States and its allies as the defense contractor built 47% more jets this year. The world's largest defense contractor said that in 2020, it plans to deliver 141 F-35 jets. And conversation, let me say that again, construction spending went up this week. U.S. construction spending more than expected in November, and builders also spent more in earlier months than previously estimated. That's a sign the housing sector is giving some support to economic growth. The Commerce Department said today that construction increased six-tenths of a percent in November, beating analyst consensus forecast of spending of a three 
tenths percent gain. The gain in November, driven by a 1.9% increase in private home building. And again, that's an indication the Federal Reserve's interest rate cuts last year, which drove mortgage rates lower, were boosting the economy. So, That's a look at what happened on Wall Street. We're going to take a look at what happened in the markets when we return with one of our favorite market interview guests. Your best defense against breast cancer is a mammogram. I'm Dr. Sandy Goldberg, a breast cancer survivor and founder of a Silver Lining Foundation. And early detection saved my life. Are you uninsured? Are you underinsured? Are you a survivor and need follow-up testing? Feel like you have nowhere to turn? Times are tough, but getting a mammogram shouldn't be. Call us at 312 345-1322. A Silver Lining Foundation is here to help. Throughout the year, we have the opportunity to visit with many interesting market analysts involved in agriculture and Wall Street. And they're all favorites of ours, but we always enjoy the opportunity to talk to Paul Georgie of Allendale, based in McHenry, Illinois. And Well, after the weather year we've just come through, he probably can't answer this question. But, Paul, is weather going to be a big factor next year? Well, I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities in uh, 2020. I think the uh, I'm pretty optimistic about price movement. I think we're going to see see things move around. And it's going to come from probably weather is going to be one of them, starting in South America when we – Right now, we're concerned about it on a daily basis. Is Brazil too dry? Argentina too dry? Or what is or too wet? Uh, the twos always have a factor there. And then we get further down the road in 2020, and I think we're going to definitely have an impact on uh, weather. We'll have an impact here as we uh, start to plant crops in the, in the United States. Of course, in addition to the unusual weather of 2019, we had to live with the trade concerns, particularly with China. Is there optimism on your part about the signing of Phase 1 coming up? Well, I think the optimism was there until uh, last night when we heard that uh, uh, the U.S. retaliated against the Iran leader. And I think politics will be... uh, a major player in the uh, the outlook in 2020. I think uh, uh, we don't know what's going to happen. Uh, the uh, it changes seems to change uh, traders' attitude on a daily basis, which keeps the market in a very narrow trading range. But I think with uh, with some of the outside influences, like for instance the USDA reports, uh, that's going to continue to be a highlight as we go into 2020. Politics is probably going to be number one uh, as we look forward here on this trade deal that supposedly is going to be signed uh, on uh, January 15th. Uh, Now uh, is a concern since uh, China is a big oil user from from Iran, and uh, that may have an impact. Trade is definitely concerned about that, if that's going to influence the uh, the trade deal uh, as it's set here in phase one. Uh, Do you find it as unusual as I do growing up when we did that uh, we didn't talk much about world affairs and events when it came to market prices for corn, wheat, soybeans, and commodities? Uh, That certainly changed, hasn't it? A lot more influences right now. 
It certainly has changed a lot, and that's a the thing that's uh, discouraging when we talk to farmers uh, and livestock producers on a daily basis. They want to talk about the fundamentals and how much corn we have or soybeans and the demand and uh, so forth and production problems and so forth. But when it all comes down to the bottom line, that's only a small factor when it when we deal with the uh, the political ramifications and how our uh, agriculture and food supply is now become a world uh, market, and uh, we have to worry about the uh, the political attitudes uh, on a daily basis. So let me take wheat, corn, and soybeans and ask you what you're looking for in the market prices for those commodities. Well, we can look at corn first. Uh, that I think we will... Uh, stay in a, a trading range there. I think it's going to be a very choppy market is kind of my insight right now. Uh, as we go through 2020, I, I think we will have a chance to to sell corn somewhere above the uh, 450 range uh, at some point in time. It may not be uh, uh, long lasting, kind of like we've seen in 2019. There will be fears that uh, occur and can cause us to run sharply higher. And there probably will be fears that uh, cause us to sell off. And and when a producer looks at it, he's going to believe there's no real apparent reason for that sell-off. But it could be technical. It could be uh, just a liquidation of a, one side of a trade or another that could dry this thing. I think soybeans, on the other hand, uh, I'm optimistic there that we could see uh, soybeans trade potentially in the $11 to $12 range. I don't think that's out of the question. I think on the downside, we've also got a, a possible range there that we could go back to $8. So we could have a, a pretty wide range in the in soybeans. Uh, wheat, on the other hand, I, I'm probably more optimistic on wheat because it's it historically, as I've been in the business a long time, the wheat market usually gives us and leads us out of these issues and uh, the, the low prices. And I think uh, there is some chance there. We've got some problems with supply of wheat around the world. And uh, and I think the the wheat, you know, it's it's kind of like the sky's the limit there. When, uh, when the uh, trade gets excited about things, it can move very quickly. And, you know, anybody's guess on uh, how high it potentially could go. So then can we turn to livestock for a moment, particularly the hog market with the Chinese situation on African swine fever? Uh, Are we going to benefit more from that? Well, we should benefit more. Uh, We should be, uh, we really have got the the largest supply, the best supply of pork in the world. And I think uh, we can can certainly benefit from that. I think a, a problem that we have to be concerned about in the hog industry, however, is how long this trade war lasts and how uh, how uh, easy we're going to be with, uh, with China and getting a, a deal done here. Because the longer that we uh, take to get our uh, deal completed, uh, it gives the rest of the world the opportunity to, to increase production. And especially in South America, Brazil is... Uh, from what I understand, increasing their livestock production dramatically, which uh, certainly is a 
they've got the uh, the financial incentive to do, which gives China the other another market to go to other than the U.S. But uh, I think we as livestock producers, and this is a, a concern that I've got in in pork, is uh, you know we're anticipating that the Chinese have got to come to the U.S. and we're increasing our pork production dramatically because of that. And uh, if they don't come, we might have a, a tough reckoning here with uh, with price in order to use up the supplies that we're uh, we're readying for the uh, Chinese market. So then let's turn to beef, because uh, there we have seen a little bit of strengthening. What do you see in the year ahead? Well, I think I'm looking for a, a choppy market there. I think the beef has got a lot more to do with the uh, the U.S. economy and the amount of money that uh, the consumers got to spend, uh, will he pay for the uh, the higher priced beef cuts? And usually, with the, the strong stock market, has gives us a, a good indication that uh, beef prices can stay strong. The uh, the disadvantage that we've got right now is that uh, the warmer weather uh, has caused gains. Uh, our cattle to gain rapidly, and that is uh, increasing our supply and therefore uh, uh, keeping uh, kind of a lid on the market there as well. Uh, hopefully, price, I think prices can uh, can be good at times. Right now in the beef industry, if you just uh, was talking to a producer here this morning, that uh, if you bought the feeder cattle today with the cost of production you had today, they're putting in uh, $165 a head loss at this point in time for those feeders going into the feedlot. So not a real big incentive there, which could actually be positive down the road if we uh, slow down our uh, our placement of cattle. So let's talk about the mood of agricultural producers, because you talk to them on the phone every day. Are you also holding a lot of uh, meetings uh, with Outlook for the markets this year? We've got a bunch of them coming up. We've got our our Allendale annual uh, Outlook Conference coming up here on uh, January 28th, 29th, and 30th. Uh, it'll be an online webinar-style meeting, and uh, uh, we've got a lot of people signed up for that already, And which means that they're uh, interested in what's, uh, what's going on. I think the, uh, the attitude of the producer is very good right now. Uh, I think a rally would just be a, a really good thing for everybody in agriculture if this market would fail for some reason the usda puts out a report that is not as bullish as trade thinks we could see uh, some downward pressure here in the market uh, demand is uh, is relatively weak but i think the overall attitude of the farmer is uh, is good uh, and you know when you look at price relationships from a year over a year basis, the uh, the corn price was actually up 3.4 percent, soybeans up 6.8 percent, and and uh, Chicago wheat was up about 11 percent uh, year over year on uh, uh, December 31st. So, uh, you know, I think the the overall attitude is good. My concern about uh, the farmer right now or the farmer situation is how many farmers have their bins full of grain and that haven't sold anything. Uh, now, we are running into 
two sectors there. You've got one group of farmers that are cleaning out their bins, they're moving their product, they're selling the grain at the higher basis, and and uh, they're concerned, well, what if it goes up? And then you've got the other uh, producer that has not sold anything, and he believes that prices are going to go up, and um, he wants to get the higher price for it. So there's a, there's there's kind of uh, two tiers out there, two groups, and uh, which one will be right, that, uh, that'll that be determined, I think, in, uh, in maybe even before the, uh, the March time frame, simply because um, I think a lot of trade still, a lot of producers have grain sold on basis contracts and so forth, and if we don't get that rally, they may all uh, be forced to move out of that contract by the, uh, by the 1st of March. Finally, last question, how do people get involved in your webinar at the end of the month? Well, they just need to go to allendale-inc.com, and uh, they can, it'll be right on our homepage where they can go to, to sign up for it. They can do it all online, or they can give us a call at 800-262-7538. Give we'll me be that happy phone. to help them with any uh, questions that they might have, even about the markets. Give me that phone number one more time. It's 800-262-7538. Paul, it's always a pleasure to talk to you to get your insight on what's happening in the markets. I guess I would wish that we can talk less about China-U.S. trade agreements and weather in 2020 than we did in 2019. A visit with Paul Georgie, chairman of Allendale, based in McHenry, Illinois. China-U.S. trade situation will take a back seat this week because we do have other trade considerations on the docket. The U.S. Senate Finance Committee will meet Tuesday to consider legislation to implement the new North American, that's the USMCA Trade Pact. The panel said it would meet at 9.30 a.m. Tuesday, and uh, the House has already signed off on the deal with Canada and Mexico. They did that on December 19th, and approval by the Senate committee would clear the legislation for consideration by the full Senate. Republican leader Mitch McConnell has said the chamber would likely take it up after an impeachment trial of President Trump takes place. So that will be in the picture. Another bit of China news that's in the picture beyond the trade agreement, which is still due to be signed on January 15th in the White House. But China's agriculture ministry said this week it plans to issue biosafety certificates to a domestically grown, genetically modified soybean crop and two corn crops in a move toward commercializing GMO grain production in China, the world's top market. So with all of this that's going on, let's kind of take a quick look at where we ended the trading week. Grain and soybean futures crumbled today as traders booked profits after the Middle East tension. Chicago Board of Trade's most active soybean contract dropped 1.6% with a decline 
coming after the most active contract on Thursday touched its highest price since June of 2018. So let's take a quick look at the closing grain prices at the Board of Trade. The March wheat contract down five cents a bushel today at five dollars fifty-four and a half cents. March corn down five and three quarter cents, ending the day at three eighty-six and a half. And then the January soybean contract dropped fourteen and a quarter cents, ending the week at nine dollars thirty and a half cents a bushel. Turning to the livestock picture. U.S. hog futures tumbled by the daily trading limit to a three-week low today, again because of the geopolitical tensions in the Middle East that did uh, trigger some profit-taking. And uh, the traders are paying close attention as well to Chinese purchases because China is facing that meat shortage caused by African swine fever. China did buy 9,741 tons of U.S. pork for delivery in 2020 from December 20 to 26, and also canceled purchases of 13,000 tons for delivery in 2019. One trader said the hog market anymore is, let's see what weekly export sales and shipments are. For a holiday week, they were respectable. And so let's take a look at those closing prices and where we'll start on Monday when the markets open for the first full week of trading. As I said, the lean hog future for April down the $3 daily limit, ending at $75.15. The February live cattle contract down 90 cents for the day at 124.72, and the January feeder cattle contract down a dollar five cents at 143 dollars 35 cents a hundredweight. Well, again, that's our time. Thank you for listening, joining us. We hope every week on the markets.